0: This is the podcast helping to create, provide, and expand Winners in life Positively life-changing experiences through music for all Go for it! This is the podcast that encourages everyone to Break ranks. Welcome to Break Ranks, the official podcast of the Bands of America Marching Band Championships. I'm Dan Potter, one of the stadium announcers and a media personality for Bands of America and Music for All. This week, the evolution of the marching band front ensemble, The Pit. With audio engineer and pageantry designer, Tony Lyman, we used to, as marchers, carry timpani and carry marimbas.
1: And I'm sure it was one day someone said, you know what? These chimes are heavy.
0: The pits become one of the most intricate facets of the modern marching band. It introduced a fair amount of problems. Let's go for it. Break ranks. Bands of America congratulates four first time regional champions this week. Let's start in the heart of the country with the Des Moines Regional Championship. Rosemount High School of Minnesota swept all captions in finals to become our Des Moines Regional Champion, with Lincoln High School of South Dakota second and Nebraska's Bellevue West in third during finals. It's worth noting that Class A Des Moines Champion Pella High School finished sixth in finals. Pella has one of the largest and best Class 1A bands you'll ever see. There are about 600 kids in the whole school, grades 10 through 12, and a third of that Pella student body is in the band, 200 students. Well done, Pella. The Class 2A champ in Iowa was Camdenton High School of Missouri. Class 3A went to Rosemount with Lake Park High School of Illinois taking the 4A medallions. The other three regionals this weekend were all in Texas. Let's start deep in the Rio Grande Valley at the McAllen Regional. And in first place, with a score of 83.00, the 2023 Bands of America South Texas Regional Champion. The Roma High School marching band from Roma, Texas. Alex Quintero making the winning call in McAllen. Roma High School, a class 2A school, taking the music and general effect captions to win it all. Piper High School, a close second with John B. Alexander High, third. Port Isabel High School was the 1A champ. Roma, 2A, 3A went to Piper. And United High School is your McAllen 4A champ. From McAllen, we head northeast to Shenandoah, Texas, north of Houston. In first place. With a score of 81.0, the 2023 Bands of America North Houston
1: Regional Champion, the Fair High School Marching Band from Cypress, Texas.
0: The voice of BOA, Chuck Henson, on the mic at Wood Forest Bank Stadium. Fair High School, you know, has always been a strong performer of BOA shows and a perennial regional finalist. But as you can tell by their excited fans there, this was also Sci-Fair's very first time to be crowned a regional champion. Clearbrook High School took silver in the North Houston Regional with Klein Oak High School in third. There were no 1A or 2A schools at this show. Clearbrook was the 3A champ, Klein Oak 4A. And to paraphrase an old saying from the Lone Star State, the sun is ris, the sun is set, and we ain't out of Texas yet. And in first place with a score of 80.45, 80.45. The 2023 Bands of America West Texas Regional Champion, the Braswell High School Marching Band from Aubrey, Texas. That's me announcing the results of the West Texas Regional Championship in Midland Saturday night. What a night for another first-time regional champ, as Braswell, or as they're known, the Bwell well Band, did well, taking music and GE to claim their very first regional title. Mustang High School of Oklahoma was tops in visual to come in second in the Midland Finals, and Robert E. Hendrickson High School of Texas was third. Texas Greenwood High School, the Class A champ in Midland, Colorado's Loveland High School won 2A, Hendrickson 3A, and Mustang 4A. Speaking of Mustang, I caught up with their director, Ryan Edgman Sunday morning after the show. Ryan was attending one of the post-show judges clinics that we talked about in last week's break ranks. I wanted to know if these clinics are as valuable to the directors as the judges say they are. Here's what Ryan told me. We're we're a little bit past uh, nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. We're actually at the uh, Hilton Garden Inn
2: next to the stadium what are you doing here today ryan so we're here for the director's clinics today uh we're going to spend uh a 30 minutes with the vision panel and 30 minutes with the music panel uh going through the videos from the show uh and kind of working on what we do for the rest of the season uh, i think what a cool opportunity to get down and sit with the experts and kind of get some guidance and some uh insight as to things that we can do and develop as we move forward yeah, I spoke to
0: Nola Jones, John Phillips, Richard Saucedo on the podcast last week about these exact clinics. And one of them, I think it may have been John Phillips, said, I know a band director who's told me we have two seasons, before the clinic and after the clinic does that sound about right?
2: It really does you know you think about like the especially this time of year the normal weekend contest where you go in for a critique sometimes it's between prelims and finals sometimes it's after finals so you're either talking about when you're dead tired in the heat of the day or you're talking about when you're dead tired at the end of an 18 hour marching band day and you get three minutes with the Viz panel and three minutes with the music panel and you get some broad strokes Um, you're going to get a little more information some raw feelings that weren't maybe on the tape that they can share with the directors but not share with the students but that's not this this is like an opportunity for in-depth conversation about things that we can do uh, and so instead of identifying problems and going oh, well here go fix it it's going to be more of an opportunity for conversation about you're watching
0: game tapes I mean you're in yeah. there right with yeah video.
2: absolutely I have my videos from last night on my computer we're going to sit down at the table and we're going to go through it and uh, I'm really looking forward to solutions and I, so,
0: I know one thing you won't be talking about in there and that's numbers
2: yeah, absolutely. That has no place in that conversation. All, all that anybody cares about is the achievement of our kids. And so when we're talking about the success of our students, then, I mean, numbers are uh, used for a competitive measure, but they're not used to define success. And so the, uh, these are ways that we can make our shows better, have, uh, make some enjoy m- more enjoyable moments for our kids and create a better season. Mustang High School Band Director Ryan Edgman.
0: After taking some of the mystery out of the BOA judging process last week, I thought we might demystify another sometimes confusing aspect of our activity this week. That would be the front ensemble, the pits, and the use of amplification and electronics. I thought we'd have this discussion to help us better understand just how complicated and critical that facet of the marching band activity is these days. And I asked Tony Lyman to uh, be our expert. Tony is the artistic lead for the Drum Corps International World-Class Drum Corps, the Blue Knights of Denver, Colorado. In fact, he has worked with several independent world-class marching groups, but he is also a high school music educator specializing in percussion and an expert in sound reinforcement for marching ensembles. I asked Tony Lyman to give us a short history of the evolution of the pit.
1: The front ensemble was introduced as a logical progression from carrying those large instruments in the in the set '60s and '70s, and you know, after so many a while, people may
0: not believe that we used to as marchers carry timpani and carry marimbas.
1: And I'm sure it was one day someone said, "You know what? These chimes are heavy. And we put them <laughs> on the sideline." <laughs> so you know, th- there was some experimentation of you know putting them on the sidelines in the '80s and and all of a sudden that opened up orchestration of what you could have since the students are having to wear them and march with them and that opened up a a palette of of depth of design of musicality and orchestration throughout the pageantry activity but there was a problem Um, those instruments are very difficult to be heard especially the, the keyboard instruments and that's where i come into the scene because i marched or sort of march i was in the front ensemble at star of indiana from 91 to 93 and if you are familiar with the horn line at star of indiana back in those days they were one of the loudest things ever so in efforts for the front ensembles to be heard we had to employ some techniques that were not concert like i guess i would say um where we would really have to play the the instruments as hard as we could exactly so that took away some of the musicality, it took away some of the orchestrational choices that you would have available just because of the sheer volume of brass and battery percussion. Well with the advent of technology becoming more advanced around the 2000s, people were like, well what if we might keyboards? And lo and behold, you can you can use the techniques that you would use in a concert hall to play keyboard instruments more sensible more sensibly, and from there you have a larger palette of dynamic range, textures, depth, all of these things started to open up as a result of amplification. But it, it as much as it opened that up, it introduced a fair amount of problems from you know isolating what you might, budgets, all of these things. Um, you know, and with every movement where pageantry changes there are people that think that it's not necessarily in agreement with what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and you're always going to fight that battle when, whenever there's change
0: there are people who think we
1: should still be all acoustic is that what you're saying mm-hmm. but when we're working with a, with an activity that's predicated upon pushing the envelope this is to be expected and you're always going to have that division Whenever a new element is introduced and there's a departure from something that we have grown to know as familiar
0: in the drum corps idiom in the in the world class cores that you work with uh, these are big budget operations and when you start talking about high school bands man all of this audio equipment it can be pretty expensive
1: you know even for the drum cores is expensive yeah we bend reality in how we use the audio because it's such a proprietary means of using this equipment to isolate things that have other audio elements happening around it, that it takes, not only do you have to know the gear and know how to run audio, but you also have to know pageantry and what sound we're going after. So you just can't, you know, get your great sound tech from your church or your great audio engineer from your favorite studio, because they they work in a totally different universe. We're aiming mics at people who are moving around with their instruments. And our studio is the earth, it's outdoors. And it presents some very unique challenges that it takes some time, experience with the activity on both sides to be able to realize that stuff.
0: And it's complicated by the fact that it happens in such a short time window. You have four Mm -hmm. minutes to get it all set up. You have a 10 minute or so performance, and then you got to tear it down and make sure that it still works the next time you use it. Um, Mm -hmm. that whole process of getting the that intricate expensive equipment on the field, setting it up, making sure that it works, that to me, that has to be the most pressure that, that an audio engineer could face. In any circumstance, you look at a live concert venue or anything, any kind of live sound reinforcement, they don't have those kind of setup constraints. How does that further complicate exactly. things?
1: It complicates it in the fact that it's, it's, it's the impossible. It's impractical to yeah. take all of this complicated equipment and set it all up in a minute and a half and then expect it all to work perfectly every time. But that's what we do in, in the activity. We we start at at impossible and we work our way back. I, I feel like so. Um, but you ha- also have to look at it to make those systems be that fail safe and be able to work every time. It costs more money to do it. So um, these are the things that I feel like high school bands need to know, because what they're seeing is a finished product by. A bunch of highly trained skilled professionals and they can't see you know there's there's always that you you can't see the iceberg that's underneath the water of how those things got there and so they go oh well this is what everybody's doing so i need to do that but i encourage everyone to proceed with caution and consult professionals who have done this before so they can give you the full spectrum of what you're getting yourself into Because the don't know what you don't know factor really comes in and catches you in a moment that you don't want it to catch you. How do you find that person, Tony? Uh, Well, everyone knows someone. (laughs) You know, and I I think it starts with, you know, finding the group that inspired you that did it. And, um, you know, the things that I've learned is sending an email, hey, I'm, trying to do this and i haven't met anybody in the activity worth their salt that won't try to help someone else yeah i I would start there who's doing the thing that inspired you to do it see how close you can get to that person or someone uh similar to that person
0: there is a great facebook group called marching arts audio uh discussion that i would encourage if you are that band director looking. Uh, for help with amplification in your ensemble, that uh, that would be a great place to start. And there are a lot of uh, great men and women who hang out there and uh, would be happy to help you and maybe steer you in the direction of somebody who can help you in person. Uh, Does amplification, does audio mixing and all of those intricacies that go along with it, does that affect the competition, Tony? Does it affect
1: the final score in any way, do you think? I think it does. And I think it's the only element of the entire marching band that can have the biggest effect on how the group sounds immediately. Hmm. Because you could have worked all day on getting everything just perfect. And if the audio is bad, or if it's not working properly, you won't be able to hear that as you practiced, And that can be that can come from user error it can come from a mishap that happened in the parking lot where a cable got snapped or whatever and you know all of a sudden the balance is off um i had personally personally had an issue with my high school group where uh, a stadium that we had performed in for 10 years all of a sudden got wireless equipment for their football games and i didn't know that and i never had to scan for any frequencies or anything and all of a sudden, the awesome brass ensemble that we had worked all season on started coming through these tiny little speakers from the scoreboard. And I couldn't mute it because it was oh. just coming through that. Oh. And, uh, uh, oh. and I run up to the press box and I'm like knocking on the window and the judges are looking at me. And it was at that moment I went, wait a minute, there is nothing I can do. There's no world where I can oh. communicate what is happening right now much less get anyone to do something about it. So um, it it gets complicated, even for the professionals really fast. And I would encourage everyone to really educate yourself. Go to the marching arts audio page. Everyone that I know who is doing this at the highest level is in that, on that page. And, you know, for example, Ian Grom, has worked with Cheeto Hills, Pulse, Blue Star, like the whole he's one of the best in the business. He'll he'll write a two-page paragraph responding to someone in, you know, nowhere America because he wants to see that everyone has access to this knowledge. Because this isn't a zero sum game. We want everybody to succeed.
0: Hmm. Bands of America recently put out a philosophy statement regarding amplification and electronics. What were some of the points made in that and, and why did BOA and Music For All find it necessary to
1: put out that statement? It was all under the auspices of integrity in using all of this. Obviously, we this when we're in the competitive season, it's about a contest of skills and it's about education first and foremost. But there are adults involved in this because of the intricate audio things. And there's a way you can misrepresent the sound of your band by enhancing some things. I don't know that this is um, a proliferated technique, but it has to be said that, for example, if I uh, individually mic some of my members on the field, and then I mix that sound with the overall ensemble, is that an accurate depiction of what my band sounds like?
0: What you're saying is a band director is picking out maybe the best player in each section of the band and amplifying them over the rest of the ensemble in hopes of making them sound better. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
1: Exactly. And so then we get into a question of ethics. Is that ethical? Are we getting if we're if it's a contest of skills and i'm misrepresenting the skill sets of my band is are are we comparing the same things Hmm. that's the that's the competitive side of it the educational side of it is if if i'm miking my best players and they're making my band sound better what does that do for the confidence of my other players and what is it going to do for my motivation to educate them to get to the level of the better players. So those are the concerns intrinsically with how you can enhance this stuff. And the conversation needed to be had. And I think music for all is first and foremost implementing those things to kind of bring awareness to that. So you can make an informed decision of not making those choices.
0: Going back to the expense of all of this, both in terms of equipment and manpower, what can a low-budget band director do? Um, you know, give them some advice for amplification on a shoestring budget.
1: Well, I feel like they need to listen, and I, I always speak to listening with your band director ears, because the audio is a is a supplement. It's a tool to to realize that sound that you're trying to get on the field. It's it's reinforcement by the nature of its name. So I encourage you to listen to the band sound and ask yourself, what's missing? What is not present? And that's going to kind of inform you of where you should begin with your amplification. I would think the first place you're going to look at is the mallet keyboards, especially the marimbas they're the hardest thing to project over the the aggregate band sound. So keyboard miking I feel like is is where you start. And you're looking at mics, mic cables, speakers, a mixer and an and amplifier. That's that's a oh, yeah. and and an amplifier if you're using an active versus passive if you're doing those things um that that's the that's where you start. And from there, you can go, okay, well, I have some soloists that I want to feature. How can I get that soloist sound to mix with the rest of the band? That's another, and and then you got to go from, do I want a static mic on the front sideline, or do I want to stage that member in the drill? That's when you get to the wireless versus wired mics, I would say, for that. And then the level three, I would say, would be, soundscaping sound design do i want to add that sound design to my program obviously those those instruments can only make sound electronically and through a pa and then the fourth one which is the most dangerous one is the field miking, meaning that you're gonna put mics up and amplify the entire band that is the advanced no fly zone i would say for novices even through intermediate that one mistake can ruin everything you've ever done throughout the week with your band.
0: Some great words of wisdom from pageantry arts designer, percussionist, and audio engineer, Tony Lyman. Well, it's officially Band Tober, and the Bands of America Regional Championships shift into a higher gear with now five, <laughs> five regionals this weekend. Bedford, Texas, Katy, Texas, Toledo, Ohio, Flagstaff, Arizona, and Memphis, Tennessee. If you can't be at any of those five, you can watch them all at BOALive.tv, powered by Box 5 Media. I'll be in my old home stomping grounds in Bedford, Texas, at storied Pennington Field, where uh, you can see the hospital my son was born in from the press box. It's going to be a real homecoming for me. Can't wait to tell you all about it next week. Until then, go for it. Break ranks.